The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm looking forward to getting into the Word. I'm going to preach really fast. Would you like to see that? Some of you are like, you liar. You liar. I'm going to watch the clock there, not to rush through something, but we have a lot of things that I want to accomplish today. And sometimes if you don't accomplish the main thing, then you don't accomplish anything. You know what I'm saying? But I want to give us some information. Now, here's what I know. You're your favorite preacher. You are your favorite preacher. You can talk yourself into or out of anything, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've done it before. You're your favorite preacher. So what I want to do is help give you some material that you can preach to yourself. We're going to have a message today. There's no doubt about that. But I want to give you some things that if you have a way to write it down, write it down. If you have a way to type it into your phone, type it into your phone. But here's what I want to ask. I want to ask that you take these things and you look at them. Take a look at them. Sit down and ask God to teach you, what does that mean? How does that apply to my life? And I can guarantee you this, because I know how much he loves you. He'll show you great things. He'll show you the most amazing and incredible things. Well, here's a few things that we're going to find as we move quickly through these passages. We're going to find out what happened at the cross. What happened at the cross? Man, I love that last song, the cross has the final word. Absolutely true. But the final word about what? What good is singing that song if we don't know what the final word was about? It is inspirational. Man, the drums start sounding and the cymbals open. You want to just stand up and shout. But shout about what? What happened at the cross? That's one thing we're going to make sure that we're on the same page with. Then we're going to find out what happened at the resurrection. What happened at the resurrection? It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's the reason why we're all dressed up. Look at me. I'm wearing a tie for you people. I love you. It's unnatural, isn't it? You're not supposed to tie things around your neck. They teach you that as a kid, right? And what would you do if I came in wearing a dry cleaning bag over my head? It's like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. It says right there, this is not a toy. What happened at the resurrection? Very important. And then there's something else we're going to find, what we should be doing. What we should be doing. And here's what I'm committed to. I want to deliver what we should be doing in such a way that it doesn't make us feel guilty for not doing it if we're not doing it, but inspires us to step up and begin to do it. Something that we should be doing. So here we go. Let's get into the Word. I want to get into the Scripture here. I'm going to ask you to turn somewhere. I want to read straight out of the Bible here. It's not in the notes, but I think it's a good place to start. When we're talking about what happened at the cross, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians. Now, Colossians is in the New Testament. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And it's somewhere in there around Ephesians and Philippians. I tend to have to search and look. You're no different if you have to search and look. Just know you're in good company. But Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Now I want to begin reading in verse 13. Remember, we're finding out that first thing. What happened at the cross? 
I want to begin reading in verse 13. Verse 13 begins like this. And when you were dead in your transgression, God made you alive together with Jesus, having forgiven all of our transgression. Now, transgression is a big word for rebellion. Having forgiven all of our rebellion. Now, verse 14. This is really important to see this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, the decrees against us that were hostile toward us. Now, you know, you really don't have to go very far in America today to communicate what debt is. How many of you are familiar with what debt is? Yeah, if you know what debt is, you know you owe it. They don't owe you, you owe them. And at some point, debt will be required to be paid. So there's a certificate of debt. We owed some things. We owed some things that we could never, ever be paid. And it says Jesus took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing to consider. Now, it's, it's a bit of a riddle, but let's look at it. He did something through him. I want you to say that. He did something through him. He did something through him. So how many people are we talking about here? If he did something through him, there's two people, right? And this is fun, right? It's supposed, we're supposed to let the wheels turn. So he did something through him. Well, I want to help us understand this quickly. The he is God the Father. The him is Jesus Christ the Son. So when we look at the cross, when we consider the crucifixion, when we consider the resurrection, we've got to understand something. God did that. God did that. He did it for you, and he did it through Jesus. God did that. And then what did he do? Well, he took everything that you owed and you could never pay, and he and never pay, excuse me, and he nailed it to that cross. There's a lot of houses of worship today that will have imagery of a cross with the body of Jesus Christ on it. And I remember once when I was young, I was looking at a figure, I was actually with my family, they were, we were in Mexico, uh, and they were there doing some ministry work. We had an opportunity to go into some shops, and I was fascinated with two things. I was fascinated with how you didn't really have to pay the price they were asking, and I was fascinated with how Jesus was everywhere. And so I just remember looking, I saw the little cross, and there's Jesus on, I thought, well, I want that. And my mom said, you know, son, I'm glad that you want that, but... You know, Jesus isn't on that cross anymore, right? I said, okay, I don't want that then. But something did get nailed to that cross. And it's something we need to understand, and that's what I want to get into. What happened at the cross? I'd like for you to take these down for your notes, because I do want to move fast. Isaiah chapter 53, I want to read verses 4 through 6. If you're writing it down, I'll say it again. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely our griefs he himself bore, that's Jesus, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him as stricken. That means we thought that he got the beat down. When in reality, he was obeying God, doing what God had called him to do. We looked on him and saw him as defeated, but yet he was actually being victorious. Now verse 3. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our rebellion. And all the punishment that we deserve fell on him. 
and by his stripes we're healed. All of us are like sheep that have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own ways. That means doing what we want, not what God wants. And now this last line is the one I want us to catch. But God has caused the rebellion of us all to fall on him. Remember, he and him. He caused the rebellion of us all to fall on him. Two people, he and him. God caused the rebellion of us all to fall on him. God did it. It's the reason why we can say things like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the plan of God, the will of God for you and me. That Jesus would take all of these things on himself. Now there's three things that happened on the cross according to the scripture that I want to give you. Remember in Colossians what we just read, that all of that debt that we owed, he nailed it to the cross. That certificate of debt. How many of you have ever gotten a certificate of debt? Let me say that differently. How many of you have ever gotten a bill in the mail? Yeah, that's a certificate of debt. Imagine getting one in the mail that you could never, ever, 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 ever pay. And you knew it. No matter what. You could start something bigger than Google, but you wouldn't have what it would take to pay it. That certificate was nailed to the cross. Not the body of a man, but a certificate. A bill was nailed to the cross. That's what Colossians says. So there's a part of me that begins to wonder, I wonder what that certificate said. I wonder what was on that bill. I want to give you a few passages. What happened at the cross? Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. There's three things that happened on the cross according to the scripture. He did something through him. Remember two people. God did something through Jesus. According to the scripture, God made Jesus three different things. And those three things were nailed to that cross. Isaiah 53 verse 10. It was the will of God. Some of your translations may say, it pleased God to crush Jesus. A lot of your translations will say putting him to grief, but if you have a literal translation, it will say these three words, made him sick. Made him sick. It was the will of God to crush Jesus. To make him sick. He would render himself as a guilt offering. That he would see this offering. And that God would raise him up. It would be the good pleasure of God to make him prosper. Now, without getting into all of the other words, there's something there I want us to catch. It was God's will to put something up on that cross. He put sickness on that cross. Through Jesus, God put sickness on the cross and he nailed it there. It's the reason why we believe in healing. It's the reason why we celebrate health and God's work in our bodies and in our life. And I know there's been all kinds of teaching, some of it really great, some of it not so great. But I can tell you this, I'm committed to whatever the Bible says about God healing our bodies. He loves us that much. He cares for our bodies. And according to the scripture, God put that certificate of debt, that bill, that sickness would come through sin and corruption. That bill was nailed to the cross, paid in full. Another thing Jesus became, Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Galatians chapter 3 verse 
13. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse. The curse of the law. That means having to follow the rules all of the time. Now let me tell you what that means so that we don't get it wrong. The fact that Jesus set us free from having to follow the rules doesn't mean that our life isn't governed by righteousness. What it means is I'm no longer doing it because I have to. Right now, my children are young. We have rules in our house. Don't touch this. Don't do that. It's in order to protect them. But ultimately, the goal is for them to rise up, grow up, and have a maturity on their life where they just do what's right because it's right. Where they're no longer governed by not doing what's wrong because it's wrong, but now they are mature and they are wise and they do what's right because it's right. When we are required to be governed by a set of rules, this is an indication of our immaturity. But when we mature and rise up and begin to do what's right because we know it's right, we celebrate a maturity that God has brought into our lives. So I want to finish this passage. Jesus redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse. So God made him sickness, nailed it to the cross. God made him the curse and nailed it to the cross. There's two bills, bills. There's two bills that are nailed to the cross. Paid in full. Sickness, the curse. Here's a third one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. According to that, God made Jesus to be sin. God put three things to death on that cross. Sickness, the curse, and sin. Three things that we could never break free from without God's mercy and grace and His love poured out upon us. Those three things were taken and nailed to that cross. Those three bills, those certificates of debt that we could never pay are now nailed to that cross. I like to think one day we'll actually see that. Be able to walk past it. Be like, hey, that's what that pastor was talking about that one time. That's pretty cool. Paid in full. That's what happened at the cross. Now what happened at the resurrection? we got to understand something incredible. The resurrection, the message of the resurrection is the most hated message by Satan himself. I don't think Satan has any problem with us preaching that Jesus Christ was killed. The problem is that he rose again. It's the message that there was an attempt to keep secret. Jesus was publicly killed, but when he was raised up, people met and said, shh, 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 don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody that. Everybody knows that we killed him, but don't tell anybody that he rose up. And you'll see throughout the scripture, people are persecuted for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's why the devil hates the message of the resurrection. Take it down for your notes, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. This is what the resurrection accomplishes concerning our King Jesus. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by, can you say by? Yeah, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That's what sealed it. Been lots of hot shot slick preachers. There's only been one that came out of the grave. He came and brought the truth. He came and carried out the will of God. He came and resisted temptation and surrendered to God obedient unto death. And upon that death, three days later, rose from the grave. And that resurrection has declared to all of creation, this is the Son of God. 
there's something great that we celebrate today. I'm going to ask for a little help. I need a couple of my helpers here. We've got Shane and Isaac. Isaac's going to minister a bit to us before we close. I think it's fitting. Isaac, if you can stand over here, and Shane, if you can move over here. I want to help create a visual because there's something that I think we need to catch. It's important for us to understand this. I think whether we have been Christians for a long time or if we're not Christians at all, there's something that we all need to see. I want to share with you a passage of Scripture. You can write it down for your notes. John 8, chapter 34. It talks about sin. Now remember, we're talking about what happened at the resurrection. But this passage that talks about sin says something. Now it's Jesus talking. Jesus is talking and He's speaking these words not just to the crowd that's in front of Him, but He's speaking them to us today. That whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now if you're a slave, are you free? No. Can you do whatever you want? No. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. It becomes their ruler, their master, whether they think they're in control or not. Any perception that there's any way to manage sin or celebrate it in moderation or operate in it carefully is an absolute lie. Total deception. And sin has something nasty that comes with it. A result. The Bible calls it a wage. Like you go to work and you work and then your work pays you. The result of sin, according to the Scripture, I'd like for you to write it down in your notes. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The result of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. The result of sin is death. Now, there's a powerful word there in is, right? Is is absolute. It's not could be or not sometimes, but is. Sin will always lead to death. Now the rest of that scripture is really worth celebrating. It's a great thing. The sin will always bring death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I've asked for these guys to come help me just for a minute. Shane is a wonderful man of God. God's got a fire lit inside of him so high I can barely stand next to him. But today I'm going to ask him to play a different character. I want him to be death. You dress pretty sharp for death. Look at that. But you know, I like the dress. I like the outfit because I actually think that, you know, Death is a bit of a debt collector. Because there will inevitably come a time where payment for all of that sin has to be made. So, death is with us today. If you are out and about later on and people are talking about church service, you can just say, yeah, pastor was there and we also had a special guest. Death came. Now, I just kind of have one issue with, with death here this morning. He's too handsome. One of these days, 
I'll get some fashion tips. You know the problem with wearing a suit once a year? It never fits the same. It's really affected my worship, too. I'm like, praise the Lord. So I think we ought to have an impact on our image of, of death. It's just too easy to look at death and think, well, he doesn't look that bad. What's the worst that could happen? But the wages of sin will always be death, no matter what. It's the reason why it's so important that that certificate, that debt, be taken out of the way, be nailed to the cross. So that for those that are purchased by the blood of Jesus, bought by that ransom, never have that debt collected. Look at this. I think you missed your calling as a stylist, Isaac. I really do. There's one thing I want to address while they're taking care of this. And I hear it a lot among Christians. A, a romanticization. Is that a word? Who here speaks English? Apparently not me. People romanticize death. Right? I don't watch a lot of, of pop culture stuff, but you can't help sometimes but see the trailers, you know. Some of this silly vampire stuff and all that. It's just crazy, right? Such high... There you go. Okay. It's a good look for you, man. You just made the FBI watch list. There's a, there, people romanticize death. And I'll hear Christians do this. And you know, I've learned not to be a jerk a little bit. I still on occasion have a relapse. But I've learned to just kind of just zip it and let, let God reveal some things. But on occasion, I'll encourage, you know, hey, you know, that, that mentality, you might rethink that. People romanticize death. It's like, oh, death is my gateway to heaven. It sounds like, like you should have like some Led Zeppelin playing Stairway to Heaven in the background or something. But the Bible says something very specific about death. And I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with this. Death is our enemy. Death is our enemy. Did you hear that? He's not our friend. He's not leading us and guiding us to Jesus. The scripture says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you know that death is going to get thrown into the lake of fire? It's in Revelation. I don't think God is interested in throwing our friends in the lake of fire. Those that benefit us in the move of his hand in our lives, leading us and guiding us to Jesus. Death isn't leading us to Christ. Death is our enemy. If you want that for your notes, you can take it down. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last of the enemies to be destroyed will be death. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 lets you know that death is destined for the lake of fire. So then there's this guy. All of a sudden, he's not looking so handsome. I'm not looking to sit next to him in a restaurant after church. And there's something that's very, you know, seductive about sin. It promises to make you feel good or bring some relief to a problem or a situation. 
cause you maybe to disconnect from your anxieties or your woes. But it's connected to Him. Ultimately, that temporary satisfaction is going to lead you to pay up to Him. So here's the point that I want to have issued today. If you could come into a complete awareness that to indulge in sin is to put yourself in captivity and slavery to the one that ultimately will destroy your life. Would you think twice before you did it? Even just to come into an understanding that there's no such thing as a small sin, no small rebellion, but to just have the ability to visualize what corruption actually does. If you had a knock on the door at two in the morning, and it was dark and all of your neighbors were asleep, no cars driving up and down the street, but that was standing on the other side of the door, would you open it? But we lose sight of that when sin comes and tempts. Hey, no one's watching. No one there. Just indulge a bit. You deserve it. What could go wrong? That could go wrong. That's the reason for just taking the time to come into a realization of what the scripture says. The wages of sin is death. The one that commits sin is a slave to sin. If we can just get that image it can affect our choices and our decision making. To realize there's no reasoning with this guy. There's no, but, 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 I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. Please! It's quite an image, isn't it? We like to reserve these kinds of things for when we have our kids in service, for all of you that are visiting, so... But what a powerful image to catch. What a great thing to teach our sons and daughters. Sin leads to death. It will always lead to death. Sin leads to death. It will always lead to death. Every time. And now we're back to what happened at the resurrection. Jesus comes out of the tomb. He makes a declaration. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I didn't really think through this. I'm about to find out just how much you love me. I need you to reach into my pocket. This one. I'm going to hold it out like that. Nobody snap any pictures. This is a private moment. Perfect. I want you to take down a passage for your notes. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. In Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John has been exiled. He's been kicked out of the church. Isn't that crazy? Imagine that. 
the apostle of love. He's been kicked out of the church. He's exiled. He's stuck on an island. And as he's seeking God, he has a vision. Jesus comes and stands before him. Now, some could argue it's a vision. Some could say it wasn't a vision. It doesn't really matter to me today. But Jesus is standing in front of him, and he begins to speak. John sees him with his eyes. Falls down like a dead man. He says his garments were bright white and there was a sash across his chest of gold and his hair was like the whitest wool like snow, like newly fallen snow. And his eyes were a blaze of fire. And his feet were like bronze that had been heated until it would glow in the furnace. Such an amazing vision of a risen and glorified king. And then Jesus speaks to him. And he says these words. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. Now hear this. I was dead. But behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death. That's what the resurrection is all about. The collection of the keys that could be called upon to disconnect us from death and all that would destroy us. That's the resurrection. I think when we can come into an understanding of that, it can affect how we live our lives. One, it can make us to be cautious what we allow in our eyes and our ears. Two, it can cause us to realize just what it is that Jesus accomplished when he conquered the grave. It becomes more than a song that we would sing, that he's alive, that he's risen. We could understand that he collected the keys that broke the chains that held us in bondage to death. So much more than just, I pardon your sins. But I pardon your sins, and I've plundered hell of all that has kept you in captivity. Say the word, and I'll set you free. Now here's the, the point. Death, you did good, and the Oscar goes to Shane. You can grab a seat there. It's important that we see that something has happened on our behalf. There's a word that's used in the scripture. There's a couple of words that I want us to become familiar with. One is ransom. God paid your ransom. The other is rescued. And I think we lose sight of this. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, Jesus rescued us. They rescued us. God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, through the work of the cross and through the resurrection, rescued us from darkness and brought us into light. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5 tells us something great. I told you before we're going to find out what we should be doing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, yeah, they read like this. Blessed be God the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say this in verse 6. In this you should greatly rejoice. We've been set free from the chains that connected us to death. That death that couldn't be reasoned with, couldn't be bartered with, and could never be paid off. Jesus went and got the key. And there needs to be something that we become aware of as we see what it is that we were destined for. A gratitude that can only come from something real. And oftentimes, I think one of the greatest obstacles for a believer, myself included, is losing sight of how desperate our situation once was. How evil our enemy is. And how hopeless, without a Savior, without a Redeemer, our lives are. I wanted to ask Isaac this morning to share a story And I want to encourage you all to dig deep and give him your most undivided attention this morning. Thank you. Uh, My name is Isaac Garcia. Uh, There's a one time I was just sharing with Pastor Preston and I was I was in the army and and one of the times that I was deployed in Iraq, uh, there was a story that that just not a story. There's there was an incident that just stuck with me, and and I shared it with them. I, I didn't. It, it, I knew there was something in it, and I knew God was wanting to, you know, there was something I learned from it, but I never thought about sharing it, and and that was something He encouraged me to do. So, um, it was it was in the peak of summer. It was really hot, hot day, and we were uh, in the middle of one of our patrols, and. Uh, we were headed down one of these, the, the main highways. Uh, we were close to Baghdad, uh, and, and we were on the outskirts, and, and there was a, uh, heavy traffic, just heavy traffic, so we were buzzing through, you know, all the vehicles and stuff, and I was, I was in the point vehicle. I was, I was driving, and, and uh, um, as we were coming to this T-section, we were on the main, the main road. Uh, this vehicle comes flying I mean, just flying. I mean, not just totally oblivious to what was going on. But at, at that moment, um, as the vehicle was turning towards the same direction, it was a one-way uh, main road. Uh, and, and as it was turning the same direction, they, they, I mean, you could see an American vehicle in a foreign country if it's an armored vehicle. And, and these guys didn't. But but it, it happened so fast, but yet at the same time, I was able to process so much. And as the vehicle was coming in front of us to turn, I, I could see three men in the front. It was, it was a, a, a white four-door, you know, little sedan. Uh, and, and it was three men in the front, and then there were three men in the back. But th- they were all laughing except one of them. And and they were kind of turning to each other, just laughing. But the one in the middle, in the back, I could see his face. And as he as they were turning, I could see him reach out. His his hands were bound, 
And I saw him reach out. And the, the terror in his face, the hopelessness, everything just, just I just sucked it. I just, it just came into, it just came to me and I could see that. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I knew right away that he needs our help. And, and I, I saw him open his mouth. I don't know what he said, but I could see him just scream. And, and they're just, everyone else in the vehicle was oblivious to it. But in mid-turn, the door just swung open in the back, and this man flew over those people into the street, desperate. And as soon as I saw that, I stopped. And, and, and the thing that just blew my mind is nobody else saw this in the truck I was in either. I mean, they were, you know, uh, maybe covering the points that they were supposed to. And, of course, as a driver, lead vehicle, I, 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 my job was to observe everything. Uh, for any type of situation, and I, and as I stopped, they started yelling, "Garcia, why are you stopping? Why are you stopping?" And I said, "Eyes front, eyes front. He needs us. He needs us." And so, I I, I just didn't follow protocol. I just knew that this was something that needed to be. I jumped out of the driver's seat, which is something I, I shouldn't have done, and I drew my weapon because I knew as as he was. I, you know, as he was going, I was afraid that they were going to kill him. So, but the, the thing was, as he was jumping out just to grasp the ground as a, you know, like an animal just trying to scrape to catch ground. And he just bolted off towards us and I could see him screaming. And as I, as I, as I jumped out of my vehicle, I drew my weapon. And at the same time, these men jumped out. And right away they pulled out their weapons, but still didn't see us. Still didn't see us. And and as as and as as they were drawing their weapons, this man came and and I I, I put him behind me, and I drew my weapon. And as they saw the fear and the, it it just the the role changed. As they were drawing theirs, they the fear in their eyes just their eyes just widened, and then just threw their weapons like just carelessly, like just threw it. And just like begged for us not to shoot him, so we 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 didn't, because we the the group that I was with were very very well trained, um, and they just threw their weapons, and this man just fell to the ground, and he just kissing my feet, just, and I was like, no, get up, get up, and then my friends were, what what the blank's wrong with him? What is he doing? You know what? Why is he doing that? And, and then he started kissing everybody's hands. He was still on his knees. And, and he was saying, America, 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 America. And, and, and they're, you know, get off me, get off me. And then I told him, get up, you know. And then he just grabbed my feet, you know, like my son would. And he just fell. And, and I said, don't thank me, thank God. Don't thank me, thank God. And he said, America, America. And then at that moment, as I saw him, you know, they were like, what, what's his problem? And I said, we just saved him. We saved him. And then later on, God just ministered to me, and I said, God, you, you saved me. And, and I'm sorry that I've never really realized that in the middle of me being taken from sin and death, you saved me. And at the same time, it just blew my mind because the very thing that was taking him away to capturing him was the same thing bringing him into his own deliverance, 
which reminded me of Jesus Christ on the cross. He had to step into sin to save us. He carried our sin. He carried that like pastors preaching, and he, he died for that. And I just, I just always had just something that just seared into my memory, this man just thinking. And he, he, the only thing he could say in English was America, 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 and just kissing. And, just, and I just I said, stand up. Don't thank me. Thank God. And he just raised his hands, and we were cutting his, his, his hands, just freeing him from that, just freeing him from that. So I just hope that it impacts y'all like it impacted me. Thank you, Pastor. I believe Isaac's going to tell that story 10,000 times before his time is up. I, I know what an incredible thing to get a visualization, to witness, and to picture what it looks like to be rescued. Now then, here's what I opened up telling you, because none of this is meant to bring us to a point of feeling embarrassed or ashamed. It's meant to be a point where we examine ourselves. Do I live my life like I'm rescued? I used to say something to the worship team in the past, you know, years, years ago. We'd be going out to, you know, start a service or do something, and the call would be, worship like you're saved. Worship like you're saved. And what's funny is eventually it just kind of became a saying, like you could make a bumper sticker or something. But we've got a call in our life to live like we're saved. To live like we're rescued. First time I heard that story, I just about came unglued. What does it look like when somebody has been rescued from death? They're kissing dirty boots. They're kissing strange men's hands. They are saying the, the one thing that they might think could be a word of praise. Your country, your country, not my country, your country, your kingdom, your kingdom, not mine, yours. I think God gave Isaac the opportunity to see what it looks like when men and women are rescued from death so that he could share that and so that we could examine our lives. Be reminded of what it is that the cross has accomplished and the empty grave has accomplished so that we can make sure that as time passes by, being rescued doesn't lose any of its value or its worth in our lives. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.